to come here and to say like, hey, if we can get this back on track, like what would that mean for college football? It's needed. And so I think that as much as anything, the importance of what this could be um, really hit me. There you have it. Nebraska. Will they be back? The answer is yes. But will they be back in 2023 is what we want to find out from Matt Rule, who will join us here in just a moment on Always College Football. Thanks for being with us. We so appreciate all of you that have come to us via the ESPN YouTube channel or via the podcast. Y'all, our reviews and our ratings are skyrocketing. We need you guys to continue to help out. We don't have a marketing budget here. We're not going out and pushing the product. We're not paying for premier real estate on Google and on YouTube and other places. We need word of mouth. We need you. So please continue to spread the good word. And if you could leave us a rating, five stars preferably, but whatever you think is generous. Or if you could go and subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review on the podcast. That'd be really helpful. I'm Greg McElroy. We have a terrific show for you today. Matt Rule, first year in Lincoln, Nebraska. What can he do to wake up the echoes of a proud, proud program? I don't think it's going to take very long. I really believe that. I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten this year, but I really think that Nebraska is a team to watch and to see how much better they get throughout the course of the season. We also are going to do a little bit of a game that we're going to have some fun with here in the next couple of weeks before we kick off week one. Mess around, find out. We've all seen the ratings. Look, we don't cuss on this show, but you've seen the mess around, find out scale. Well, these are some teams you don't want to mess around with because you'll find out pretty quickly that they are for real. I'm not saying that these teams that we're going to talk about are going to win their respective league, but they're not a team that you want to mess with. So we are going to do the mess around, find out quartet today. Maybe there's a little bit of action in the great state of Kentucky. That's all I'll say. So if you're into the great state of Kentucky, doesn't matter which program, you don't want to mess around and find out. So keep it locked in right here for some of those teams as we continue to move forward because we're probably going to give you three or four a day from this point forward as we lead up to week one of the college football season. We're just a couple days away now from the season getting underway. So without much further ado, let's talk to the head coach of the Nebraska Cornhuskers, Matt Rule. So happy to be joined by one of my favorite coaches in the sport. I'm really, really happy that he's back in college football. We know that you had a good experience and everything, went to the NFL, have been in the NFL in the past. But coach, when I think Matt Rule, I think college football, and I think one of the best builders of a program in college football. So in your first eight months on the job now, what's it been like in Lincoln? You know what? Um, I'm having the time of my life. I really am. Um, you know, I look back at like really happy moments in my life. I'd, you know, being at Temple was, uh, it was we call, we call it Camelot here. Like we, we loved everything about being at Temple. And this place is so similar, you know, the ethos of the way that we practice. You know, we have, it's just a great group of guys. Like they'll do everything we ask. And so I'm having a lot of fun. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. Well, I think what's remarkable, Coach, and there was some, but hey, I'm going to be really picky. You were pretty adamant about it. I'm going to be really picky. Uh, unless it's perfect, I'm not going to go. I don't have to go. And next thing you know, it's like, well, shoot, Nebraska's perfect. So what was it throughout the recruiting process by Trev Alberts that made you think, hey, you know, this is the time, this is the place. If I'm going to jump back in, 
here's where I want to go. So what was it about Trev Albert's pitch to you on Nebraska football that made you believe that this is the destination that you need to be at? You know, I, I think um, tre what Trev wanted and what was important to him, I, I think you learn a lot about people when, when you're in an interview process, the questions they ask, that really tells you like what's important, right? Right. And Trev cared about player development. He cared about academics. He cared about weight room. He cared about nutrition. He cared about all the things that made Nebraska great. And it's really all the same things that I believe in. And so um, I knew right away, like, hey, we have – we have like a like-minded approach to this. And so um, that was important to me. You know, my wife and son knew it way before me, Greg, but they were like, Hey, we need to go there. And then I'll be honest with you, like the history of it, you know, like the, the gravity of what this place means. Like I, when I went to Baylor, people thought I was nuts. And I was <laughs> like, you know, what? I'm the son of, I'm the son of, my dad's a Baptist, you know, uh, minister, Nazarene minister and a high school football coach, <laughs> like to go to Baylor and go to a Christian university that was at the time in the middle of a scandal and trying to get the program right. That had meaning to me, had purpose to me. And now as someone who loves college football to come to Nebraska, like to Tom Osborne, Frank Solich, Bob Devane, like Turner Gill, Mike Rozier, you know, on and on and on, like to come here and to say like, Hey, if we can get this back on track, like what would that mean for college football? It's needed. And so, I think that, as much as anything, the importance of what this could be um, really hit me. As a traditionalist, I could not agree with you more. Nebraska being back would be insane. And with NIL now, with support, with, with the amount of attention that Nebraska garners there in the Midwest, in the state of Nebraska, nationally it still moves the needle. As a kid of the 90s, yeah. I remember there were times when I thought Nebraska would never lose. You know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of wild to see where the program's gone. And I, I want to get to this year's team, but before we do, just one more question about the job. In the era now, with NIL, with support, being able to recruit nationally, what is the arsenal like for Nebraska moving forward to be able to attract top-end talent and to make sure that you still, because you at your core are a developer, you're a builder, you're a program culture builder, but knowing that, hey, we can now use NIL and maybe go after some of the bigger fish. How do you balance that, knowing that your track record might not necessarily be going after the five-star guys that you've gone after in the past? I think it just it's just an individual case-by-case -case basis. At the end of the day, you know, I want I want young men in the program who want to be coached and who love football. Um, there's lots of guys who are just talented, but they don't really love this. And that's yeah. fine. Like I, I love those guys, but like I want guys who love football. And so, you know, like when I was in the NFL, I had Christian McCaffrey, like he's a five-star, <laughs> he's everything, you know, but he loved football. And so right. I, I had Stephon Gilmore, I had Brian Burns, like, you know, so, so those guys loved football. So to me, um, if guy, I want guys who are interested in the NFL, not NIL, like, doesn't right. mean I don't want them to get out of NIL, but I want this, like, that's a means to an end. I want guys who want to come here, who want to get an education, who want to get coached, who want to get developed, and who want to be great. And so I, I love them to be as talented as possible. Um, but at the, at, the, at the same time, I also recognize that in today's day and age, where everyone's kind of going off of a couple big lists and everyone's using huddle, there's going to be, we had our camps this year. And, you know, why we went at Temple and Baylor, we found guys that were under the radar Right. But they had the measurables. They had the talent. We're doing the same thing here. So we're going to go after every five-star. We're also going to have the guts 
to offer offer someone that no one's offered yet if we see the talent live. Yeah, it makes sense. The OKGs, I remember uh, Coach Peterson at Boise in Washington said, hey, we want our kind of guys. And they're five-star, great. That's awesome. But if they're two stars and they're Jake Browning and they're Kellen Moore, we can win with those guys too. We had Joshua Perry on the show recently, and he said that when you arrived in your first team meeting or one of your first team meetings, that you actually pulled clips from the 22 season indicating one play here or there in several different games that they could have made that ultimately would have flipped the script and ultimately changed the outcome of the game. So how was that message received? And as you dove into last year's team, how close were they to having a pretty special special season? Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I was out of work and I had nothing to do but really uh, <laughs> watch college football. Um, and this job opened up early that I, I spent all year watching them. You know, I felt like we were kind of on a roller coaster ride watching Nebraska, and, and I thought Mickey and, and, and his staff and the team did a great job of, you know, the players battled to the end. And so, um, you know, they, they beat Iowa at Iowa when all Iowa, had, all, all Iowa had to do was win it and go to the Big Ten championship game. So I saw the talent. I saw the ability. And so my message to the guys has been, A, when I show the pass, number one, I'm the head coach of Nebraska, so that's my team. So I'm not taking shots, but it's there's so many close losses. And so – um, the message I have is like, hey, when I'm getting on you about being three minutes late for study hall and you're like, why don't you just let me play football? It, you know, we're three minutes late on the kickoff return that you know beats us. or so we're three minutes late on the blitz. So just trying to get that conceptually across to our guys that like elite discipline off the field will lead to elite discipline on the field. And that's the difference in the one, two, three, four plays that have caused us to lose. And, you know, I, will we flip it this year? I don't know. I certainly hope so. But uh, in time, uh, that'll all get flipped. It does feel like the attention to detail off the field always seems to find its way onto the field. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it does feel so true. The championship programs have a championship pedigree both on and off and in life, really, when you look at it. Jeff Sims has been a hot topic of debate on our show, on several other shows. Uh, I had his first career game there in 2020. Uh, they were playing against Florida State. And I remember watching, like, this kid's got some juice, man. He's got some game. Uh, but there were those boomer bust plays. It sounds like, listening to you, some of those bust plays have started to go by the wayside. How has his development encouraged you guys offensively? Um, I'm really excited about Jeff. Uh, you know, I think the thing that we did was, you know, we made him live in the spring. And, yeah. um, you know, I think for a quarterback, like, it, you know, you, I understand why you have to do it, but to only have them play, you know, the thing about quarterback play, it's it's high speed decision making. You know, yeah. like, hey, you know, hey, you, you make the throw and it's an unbelievable play, and everyone, it's on Sports Center. Then you make the same throw a second later or a second to the right, an inch to the right, and all of a sudden it's picked off, and you're the you're the goat. So to me, like, you need those high speed decision reps, and you can't just have everything scripted and every play is a touchdown. Like, you have to fail a little bit, have some good and bad plays. So the way that we've always practiced, you know, with a lot of things being competition, good on good, you know, call it type plays. I think that's really helped Jeff to go through the situations, to to put eight seconds on the clock and, you know, one timeout or 12 seconds on the clock and make him have to really think through every situation. Um, he's worked at it. And I, I'm really excited about what he'll do. I think he uh, I think he'll he'll be really explosive, aggressive. And you know what? There'll be a turnover. We're not going to sit here and play not to lose. We're going to play to win. We just want him to make really good decisions. Uh, and, 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 and do his best to try to take care of the ball because um, he has that capability. Well, he's not going to have to do it himself. I mean, it looks like uh, it looks like you're starting to establish some decent depth there at running back too with Ramirez, 
Johnson and, and Gabe Irvin. And we obviously have seen Anthony Grant in the past, even though, you know, ball security is, is a premium with what he's got to work on. But with the run game and complimenting Jeff, not as a passer, but also as an athlete, how do you envision Coach Satterfield's offense kind of laying itself out as far as balance is concerned? You know, um, our, our mindset is always going to be to go out and, you know, we, we, we want to run the football. Um, you know, you should see some day, you know, some days out here. We, we had we had a practice, I think it was two weeks ago. If you threw the ball, it literally would just get blown back into your face, right? So Coach Osborne was one of the first to tell me that, like, man, like, the wind here is a factor. So yeah. we have to be able to run the ball at all times. Um, but we also want to be explosive. We want to throw it. We want you know, we want to push the ball down the field. So that balance of, hey, on any play, they could do anything. I think is important to us, but you know, if we do have a lead and when we have a lead, we, we want to put the game away. We want to end games. And, you know, I think the thing about our backs that I like is they all have home run ability. You know, they all in their own way can take it to the house. And, you know, I, I love four yards and a cloud of dust and we're, that's kind of who we are. We're going to run the ball and try to establish a line of scrimmage, but we have backs that can, you know, if you give them a crease, they can take it. And so um, that plus Jeff's ability to run the football, um, I think allows us to be pretty diverse in our run game certainly feels that way and and Jeff can take it the distance I and mean, we've seen him do it on multiple occasions there in Atlanta with with the Ramblin' Wreck. Uh defensively front seven like we know there's a lot of pride in, in that group over the course of the last 30 years. That front seven defensively they want to be stout, they want to be physical and guys will play to that standard. It appears like along the defensive line at least there's some depth that's starting to come to the forefront. You know, 6 7 8 guys deep now that that maybe I don't think any of us really anticipated you having that much depth, at least at this point. So uh, how is the front seven starting to progress as you guys get closer to week one? I like where they're at. You know, some of them are young. Um, as I tell them, you know, hey, you're, you're 18, 19, 20 years old. You, youth is not an excuse, right? You're, right. Old enough to go to, you're old enough to go serve overseas in the military, so you probably should be able to play the D-gap. Um, you know, we don't like to make a lot of excuses. You know, we've taken guys from other positions, moved them to the D-line. We've gotten guys built bigger, you know. Uh, Greg, the recruiting guys hate me because if, if someone's good enough on the D line, I'm taking them. Like, I don't care if we have 50 guys up front, we're always going to play with guys. You know, we're always going to have a, a stacked D line room. And, you know, and we have, we have some veteran guys. Ty Robinson's an excellent player, future NFL draft pick. Nash Hutchmacher's really established himself, Blaze Gunnerson. But, you know, we have some young guys that came in, Cam Lenhardt and uh, Prince Will and, and many more. Um, so we're, we're going to play in waves. We're going to play a ton of guys. Um, you know, it's not about one week for us, it's about, the accumulation over the season. And if we play guys and that, you know, make them play to a standard uh, in the middle to end of the year, I think we'll have as good a D line, you know, as we possibly can have right now. And uh, the good news is a lot of those guys are with us for two, three, four more years. That is certainly a blessing to kind of grow. And, and so many people have pointed to your track record of, well, you stepped in at temple, not great year one, but by year three, you're winning double-digit games. You step in at Baylor, not great year one, but by year three, goodness gracious, complete turnaround, almost a 180 from where the program was to where it is. You step into a situation, though, that really wasn't really wasn't that bad. I mean, they were actually pretty close in, in a lot of games, found ways to lose in, in many cases. So, you know, I know you guys are going to have high expectations internally. That, that's to be expected. But what... I guess it seems like the guys are eager to get coached. It seems like the guys are eager to kind of push this thing ahead and to move forward and to win games that maybe they didn't win the last couple of years. So what is the message to the team? If something does go sideways early, or maybe they have disappointment early, let's hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, what will the message be to the team? So they don't allow one loss to turn into two losses like they have in recent years. Yeah. You know, the whole context of our program is, 
uh, to kind of live in the moment, you know, to, to, to learn from the past, prepare for the future, but just to kind of be right here. You know, uh, we ask our guys to get 1% better every day. We ask our guys to go one and know every week. And we ask our guys to in the game, just to try to win each rep. And, and while that might sound real coach speak, like I think in today's society, it's, it's as important as ever. And so, um, you know, the, the thing I try to show our guys is like, you know, true greatness, the way you show the man that you are is how you handle adversity. Yeah. And, um, Later, so sometimes it's also how you handle prosperity. But you know, I, I think if something bad happens, if we lose a game that we, you know, we expected to win, or you know, we lose a snap, you know, I think these guys are resilient. They're tough. Um, they'll handle it. They'll come back. You know, we we're a pretty humble team. Like these guys are working. They they know that you know we're coming off three and nine, four and eight. Nothing's going to be handed to us. Uh, the, the thing that we want is we want people to respect us. We want people to respect our effort, the way that we play. Um, and I think I think we're heading in that direction. So. We, 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 we hope to win. We expect to win. You know, we're going to go out there and give it our all. But we also know Minnesota is a really good football team and Colorado is a really good football team and on and on. So we're, um, we're going to be humble about the way we approach this thing. And if, if, if good things happen, we're going to stay humble. And if bad things happen, we're going to, we're going to be confident enough to trust that we can fix it. Finally, coach, we'll, we'll get you out of here with this. Just as we move forward and project into 24, 25, 26, the recruiting pipeline that dried up a little bit when Nebraska went to the Big Ten as opposed to the Big 12, the recruiting pipeline in the state of Texas, it it didn't feel like when I was getting recruited and Nebraska called, it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. this is so cool. I'm from Dallas-Fort Worth. And now I don't know if the same reaction exists for those kids in the state of Texas. I know you're going to recruit national, but what does the recruiting footprint look like for Nebraska as you move forward and put your fingerprints on this program? Yeah, you know, I think the, the first thing, and I really looked into this before I took the job, um, the talent in the state of Nebraska, you know, you can win with, right? So if we can get six, eight, ten players a year from the state, and that's winning. And, and we're well off to that right now. Uh, you know, that, that the 500-mile the, the radius, you know, getting to Kansas City, getting to St. Louis, really reestablishing Nebraska in those areas is really important. And then Texas. You know, unfortunately for me, you know, um, I've been in Texas, the connections in Texas, um, you know, we want to we want to sign six, eight, ten guys a year from the state of Texas, and then you know we're gonna we're gonna continue to go down to Florida and Georgia. Some of our best players on this team are from the Atlanta area. So if we can really master that 500 mile radius, be great in Texas, be great down in Florida, Georgia, um, and then we'll always off go to the Northeast. You know, we spent a lot of time up there. Took a couple kids from Philly and New Jersey this year. So we're not just gonna go everywhere. We're gonna major in a couple of areas, and then um, at the same time. What we found is there's there's a lot of there's a lot of young people out there whose families are from Nebraska or their parents remember what you know what it meant to be a Cornhusker. Um, so there's some interest all across the country, and we think that we're a we know that we're a national brand, and we have to do our job on the field. But when we do, uh, the facilities, the education, the fan base, they're unmatched, and um, uh, you know we just have to win so people are interested in coming and taking a look. I'll be honest with you, coach. It feels like an inevitability. I, I've I've said it. So I'm not just blowing smoke right now. I've said it. There's no doubt Nebraska is going to be a player nationally again with you at the helm, buddy. We can't tell you how much we appreciate the time. We can't wait to see what your team looks like this upcoming season and what they'll do here in the years to come. Thank you. We figured now is about time to start looking at some teams that might not be picked to win their respective division, might not be picked to do a whole lot within their conference, some people call them dark horse teams, but dark horse to me is characterized as a team that could potentially win their league. Now, all the teams that I'm going to go through, 
I don't envision a scenario right now where they actually win their conference. It would have to be catastrophic failure amongst the top teams in the league for the team that we're going to talk about to ultimately win the league. For instance, last year, a dark horse team in the Big 12 was Kansas State. Like They could definitely win the league for sure, but I wouldn't characterize them as a mess around, find out team. These are teams that could be huge as far as figuring out the playoff, beating one of the top playoff contending teams, probably can't string together enough wins to ultimately win their league, but they're very dangerous and need to be very, very careful with them. Okay, so these are the mess around, find out teams here on Always College Football. We have a long list that we want to get to, but we're going to give you a couple a day just to get you prepared for the season. So when Maryland knocks off Michigan in week 11, I know you're going to say, Greg, that's so far down the road and that's not going to happen. Fine. I, I just want you to know Maryland is a mess around, find out team. They can beat anybody. Depending on the day, they can beat anybody. Almost beat Ohio State last year. Gave Michigan a good game last year. Wouldn't be surprising if Talia Tungabaloa elevates this year and they find a way to maybe pull off a significant upset. So we'll start there. Coming off of our discussion with Matt Rule, it's only natural that we keep it in the Big Ten for at least the moment. Now you think about what they did last year, 8-5 and five overall, beat NC State in the Dukes Mayo Bowl, but they were really competitive last year. Like I've already talked about, played Michigan well, played Ohio State well. They just haven't been able to get over the hump. They've been close, but it's a misstep here. It's a turnover here. It's a mistake here. It's giving up a big play here that ultimately leads them to coming up just a little bit short. But let's look at what they have offensively. Talia Tungavaloa, he's returning. He's already the school's all-time leading passer, 51 career touchdown passes, 7,900 career yards, or just about, 78, 79, but close enough when looking at all that. But what I love most about this offense, perhaps, is how underappreciated their backs are. Hemby is the real deal. Very, very athletic, very strong. Went for 1,300 yards last year and 10 touchdowns. He can complement that passing attack. And I look at their wide receiver core. They're always going to be good at wide receiver. I look at Maryland. I don't remember the last time that wide receiver was a liability, and it won't be this year. I think they got a really solid tight end in Corey Deitches. I think Jayshon Jones has a chance to be one of the best. Tyrese Chambers, the transfer from FIU, is a guy that they're very excited about. And Josh Gaddis, who's coming up from Miami, people kind of forgot what Josh Gaddis is all about. Now, Danny Nose went to Arkansas to become their offensive coordinator. Josh Gaddis comes up after being fired at Miami. Last year, it wasn't because Josh Gaddis isn't a good coach. He's still a very good coach. It's just what he was trying to implement did not best coordinate with the talent that was on the roster there at Miami. So the RPO style of attack is still going to be a really important piece of what Maryland does. And Talia Tungavaloa, much like Tua Tungavaloa at Alabama, he excels in an RPO system. So there's a lot to be excited about there. I look at the defensive side. Yes, you lose a dynamic and elite corner on the outside, but you bring back Tarheep Still. Still a guy that's played a lot of football and should be pretty good on one side of the ball. You also bring in the transfer from Cincinnati to Jaquan Shepard, who should plug right in. Bo Braid is a really solid linebacker. 
going to make a lot of plays, going to have a lot of tackles, going to be a guy that's probably going to be very, very reliable. And then Dante Trader there in the back end, an experienced guy with him. And I also look too at the linebacker core kind of across the board. Hippolyte's back. Barham's back. They have a bunch back that you should feel pretty good about. Plus they went and got some serious transfer portal additions that might be able to plug right in. Jordan Phillips from Tennessee, Donnell Brown, who's an FCS All-American at St. Francis PA. That should be a group that hopefully can affect the opposing quarterback with a little more consistency this year. Maryland is one of those teams, and I don't think it should come as a huge surprise. Maryland's one of those teams that the longer you let them hang around, the more dangerous they become. Let's also keep it in the Big Ten talk about Illinois. Now, Illinois lost a lot last year. We understand that. You lose one of, if not the best running backs in school history, certainly one of the better ones in recent memory for the Illini. And you look at just how they improved last year offensively. Now, Barry Looney, their offensive coordinator, I think does a really good job. They are going to kind of spread you out. They're not going to be old school ground and pound. They're going to spread you out, but they're still going to be a power running football team. That's who they are. And that's not going to go away. Now, Tommy DeVito is out. Chase Brown, the elite running back, out. In steps Luke Altmeyer, who I think is going to be a really solid and adequate replacement for Tommy DeVito. I think maybe not as many big plays because Tommy DeVito was a little up and down over the course of his entire college career. Some great moments, but also some moments where you're just kind of left scratching your head. And then at running back between Reggie Love and Josh McCray, they should be in pretty good shape there. It's just not going to be a single bell cow go-to back there in the backfield. Four of their top six receivers are back, including the, the former quarterback, Isaiah Williams, Pat Bryant, Casey Washington, and then their tight end, Trip Raymond. They should be in pretty good shape there as well in an offensive line that does have some experience back, have to a couple, replace a couple starters, but this is a group last year that was among the best in college football. They were Joe Moore Award semifinalists. So you would anticipate that group still being pretty good. Now, defensively, talking about trying to replicate the success of last year. They were the nation's number one scoring defense, allowing less than 13 points a game. They were the number three total defense, allowing less than 275 yards per game. Now, part of that is because of this type of offense that they run. They can take the air out of the football, they can condense the game, and they can keep the chains rolling. So part of their approach is going to be keep away. That's to be expected. You also lose your defensive coordinator and Ryan Walters, who's now the head coach at Purdue. You lose Witherspoon on the corner. Really difficult guy to replace. But you have maybe one of the best defensive tackles in America back in Jerzon Newton. One of the best guys going. Five and a half sacks last year, 14 tackles for loss. It's a great piece to start with. You also have Keith Randolph back in the front to kind of solidify that 3-3-5 defense that should be pretty dang good. You got Gabe Jokas, a freshman All-American. Seth Coleman, Tariq Barnes. That's a really solid trio of linebackers to be able to lean on. And Tavion Nicholson takes over at corner in trying to replace Sean Witherspoon, which probably won't be easy to do, but he's a guy that does have some experience. So very, very excited about what Illinois brings back on the defensive side. Do have to replace an all-star corner. I get that. But I still think this group will be able to get after the opposing quarterback and make life difficult for the opposition. Illinois is a team that you don't really want to play. 
They are a handful. They can shrink the game. They can take away your possessions and they can win those low scoring knockdown drag outs. They're very comfortable in that spot. So if their defense plays up to the level that they're capable of, maybe this offense could give them enough to be able to pull off a significant upset or two. Let's go to the SEC now. There are a handful of mess around, find out teams in the SEC. Now, a lot of people might push back on this. Full disclosure, I don't believe at this point with their where their roster is, Kentucky can win the SEC. However, Kentucky has plenty of opportunities against some of the big dogs to be able to shock the world. They, of course, play Georgia in the East. They play Tennessee in the East. And they get Alabama this year in Lexington in what is a crossover battle that we don't see very often. I think Kentucky has improved at quarterback. A lot of people might push back on that. Will Levis, great prospect, average college quarterback. Devin Leary, good prospect, great college quarterback when healthy. That is a huge part of Kentucky's success this year is keeping their quarterback upright and keeping him available because Devin Leary has had some injury concerns and last year, Kentucky's offensive line was really disappointing. By their standards, sounds like they're going to be okay up front. It appears, at least as of right now, the offensive line has gelled nicely so far in fall camp. They feel like they've made progress there. And I think the newcomer, I guess you could say newcomer, Liam Cohen, their offensive coordinator, he went to the NFL last year. He was there in 21. That was when 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 Will Levis, when Will Levis, it's a lot of L's and W's. When Will Levis had his best year was in 2021, partly because of how Liam Cohen's going to make that position feel more comfortable. They're going to use misdirection. They're going to make sure that their offensive line isn't on islands. They're not going to allow that potential liability to come to the forefront as often as it came to the forefront last year. The wide receiver core, I think you could probably make a case that it's maybe the best in the history of the school as far as depth, as far as quality. They have three or four guys that can go with anybody. They have a really talented wide receiver core. And I think Ray Davis is one of the best, most unheralded transfers in the entire country at the running back spot. Had a great year at Vanderbilt. Now steps into an offense that's going to feature him. I expect him to have a big year. And then on the defensive side, think about what they had last year. We're talking about the 12th best scoring defense in the country. Now they gave up less than 20 points per game. It's going to be probably a little bit difficult to replicate equal success to that. But even if their defense takes maybe a slight step back and they allow, say, 24 points a game, can their offense be more capable this year than it was a year ago? I certainly hope so. I certainly expect that to be the case. They have some quality pieces that have come in in the portal. So I think when you look at Kentucky, are they going to be able to just go toe-to-toe and mash Georgia? Probably not. Are they going to go toe-to-toe and mash Alabama? Probably not. Could they potentially mash Tennessee? Kind of difficult for me to anticipate that, but I do think they'll be more capable of winning a shootout against any of the aforementioned teams. So if their defense, like I said, has a tough day, gives up 28, 32, 35, can their offense match point for point? We will see. But you got a red hot quarterback, potentially a very dynamic wide receiver core, an improved offensive line, and I think an underrated piece in Ray Davis at running back. I think they become extremely extremely dangerous. Kentucky is not a team that you want to see on the schedule at any point 
this year, and we will finish things up here in the Commonwealth. We're going to go to the ACC. You don't want to mess around and find out with Louisville. Now, you look at Jeff Brom. He returns home. You look about what he inherited at Purdue when he became the head coach. Inherited a program that had been terrible. I mean, really, really bad. With his pre, with his predecessor, with the talent on the roster, they struggled. Well, their first game, first year, seven and six overall with a bowl win. That's a pretty good step in the right direction. Now he's inheriting a team that quietly, I think a lot of us forgot, quietly went eight and five last year. Feels like a long time ago, but you also step into a schedule where there's not a lot of giants to be slayed. You miss Clemson, you miss Florida State, you miss North Carolina. They'll be favored to win each of their first four games. You got Georgia Tech, Murray State, Indiana, Boston College. So you're probably going to start 4-0. And once you get this thing rolling a little bit, I think the longer Louisville can go, the more they get confidence and comfort level within Brahms' offense. And with what they're doing on the defensive side, you know they're going to be really disruptive defensively. That's who they are. That's what they've been. At least last year, that was the calling card of what they had on that side of the ball. They can get after the quarterback. They can cause negative plays. They can, quote, wreck havoc if you will. But Jake Plummer now transfers over from Cal, very familiar with the system, started his career at Purdue with Jeff Brom. This is going to be an offense going to feature a ton of screens. It's going to be an offense going to feature a ton of misdirection. An offense is going to feature a lot of creative play calling on a down-in, down-out basis. I've never seen someone get so dang creative as I saw with Purdue last year and some of the screen game that they used. I mean, it felt like in a given week when we're calling a Purdue game, Prepping that game, you got to prepare for like 20 different screens. Jeff Brom's really thoughtful and understands where his weaknesses are. And at Purdue, they had really solid wide receiver production. Now, I think they have very athletic wide receivers. So you get it to those guys in space, look out. They could potentially break the thing right open. So when you look at everything, where the ACC's at, Louisville has been kind of a trendy pick in the ACC. I don't see them being able to potentially get over the hump and ultimately win the league. I'm not sure their roster just yet is where it needs to be to compete against the likes of Clemson in a championship setting, against Florida State in a championship setting. But I think they match up and can match up pretty well against a North Carolina team. If North Carolina's offensive line may be a little leaky, you know Louisville's going to be able to get after the quarterback and make life difficult for Drake May. So keep in mind, Louisville, a team that's probably going to come out of the gate strong, probably going to be ranked in the top 25. And the more they go and the longer they go into the season, they're going to get continually more dangerous under Jeff Brom in his first year. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. I continue to please ask all of you to spread the good word about what we're doing here. Hit us up, follow us on our social media at alwayscfb. Send us emails at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can follow me at Greg McElroy on both Instagram and on Twitter as well. Please like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. It doesn't matter. We'll continue to push out great content between now and when games get underway, which is just a couple days from now. Full week zero preview coming up. Thanks to watch for some of these teams. So keep us locked in right here for the Friday edition coming up here in a couple days. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.